0: Do what genuinely you want to do. Practice how you want to practice, right? (laughs) You don't have to do things the way that other people do them. And honestly, you shouldn't because it's not authentically you.
1: I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I tend to lean on wood, and to make it worse, I have plenty of yangming metal in my physical constitution. I found that anger and indignation have been a kind of motivating fuel. It has its uses. It's fired me up and gotten me out of some lousy situations and given me the fortitude to lay down some protective boundaries. But it's a fuel that runs hot. It plunges the inn, especially of the heart. It dries the blood, which only adds more restlessness to an already discontented spirit. And it diminishes my capacity for love understanding, acceptance, and gratitude. Anger is a motivating force, but especially when it flares into the Xiaoyang of the gallbladder. It can be self-righteously destructive. It's hard to take offense without giving offense. When the lines of good and bad, us and them, those who are part of the solution and those who are part of the problem gets drawn, it's very difficult to see how we are complicit in our own suffering, and how we have a hand in the troubles in which we find ourselves. How to ease away from the tasty polarity of the moment and find a way into the connective unity that enlivens both sides without collapsing into the lifeless great compromise in the middle. Righteous anger feels good. It feels like progress. There is something empowering about deciding that you're no longer standing for this nonsense. It feels good to have a sense of agency and of capacity. And to get somewhere in this life, you certainly need those. The question arises of what is it that I'm resisting and standing against. The ever-present drayian wind of change has me wondering if I'm fighting an external evil or my own internal demons. It's hard to bear witness to the moment when the Xiaoyang fire of the gallbladder is hell-bent on righteously correcting an injustice. We need the cool discernment and connective influence of the blood-filled Yin pericardium to bring some discernment and some wisdom. I spent a few months at a Zen center some years back. I'd run out of running and using activity to create some positive change in my life. I didn't know what I needed and I didn't know at the time. But Zen is helpful as it's a whole lot of no thing. One of the things this Zen center emphasized was the practice of bearing witness, the practice of bringing your attention to any situation in which you find yourself and seek to find equal amounts of compassion and appreciation for all of the players in any of life's dramas. To be able to hold the perpetrator and the victim as partners in a dance, right foot, left foot, yin, yang, front, back, a seamless whole to be able to attend to the suffering of all involved including the space of the unfolding it's not easy my habit of leaning on wood instead of fire has me looking for a bad guy my dry yangming metal fuels my judgment all of which gets in the way of bearing witness to the vast entanglement of influences In which we live. Bearing witness brings in the cool, dark depth of water that helps us to sit in the fire. Water connects us in the low places that we all share. It's the opposite of activity and yet helps to inform and guide spontaneous action in the moment. It is attentive toward the hidden unity of the polarities we so love to sink our teeth into. And as with so much of life, it can't be forced, but it can be cultivated. Anger, offense, and indignation are potent fuels for change, but they burn hot. And like fish sauce or shrimp paste, they're best used in small amounts as a way to bring disparate elements, flavors, or perspectives together. One of the things that I most appreciate about having and running a business is that it's a reliable mirror, in that it will show me what is wishful thinking, what holds potential, and what is simply dead wrong. It will allow me to test my ideas of how the world works in real time. It definitely separates theory from practicality. And what's more? What works well for one person might not be helpful for someone else. There is no one sure road to success. In a moment, we will be getting into a conversation with Sydney Malauer on having a small, successful practice. Sydney is succeeding at doing what she was told would not work when she was in acupuncture school. Proof positive, we have to follow our own inclinations and what that reveals to us. We'll be getting into this conversation in a moment. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? Acufast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine, and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast.
0: Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau,
1: president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula, or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin
2: health formulas this month too. Just visit mayway.com. This season and every season, trust my way for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine.
1: Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change, versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales, The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you're helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code GEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Well, friends, if you've previously listened to the podcast, you'll know that I think business is actually one of the cool aspects of running a practice. It allows us an opportunity for creativity and and to contribute to our communities. Additionally, the self-reliance we learn to cultivate, it ultimately makes us more resilient and anti-fragile as human beings. That's not a bad quality to walk into your clinic with. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Sydney, and I hope that you will find her perspective and experience to be helpful in creating your ideal practice. Let's get into this. Sydney Malower. welcome to Geological.
0: Thanks, Michael. It's an honor to be here.
1: I am so happy to have you here. You're a fairly new practitioner. We met like, it's probably three plus, slightly three plus or so years ago. Mm-hmm. You came up to Seattle for a SAAM course, first one that we did.
0: Yeah, I was still a student.
1: You were still a student. And now you're not.
0: No, I'm not. <laughs> well, technically I am because I'm a doctoral student, but I'm practicing too.
1: Well, you're an acupuncturist you'll be a student the rest of your life.
0: 100%.
1: It never ends. <laughs> I've got a, the big book of Tong's Master Points from Susan Johnson sitting over here on my uh,
3: mm-hmm.
1: waiting room table. So I got something to read in between patients. You know, it never, it never ends.
0: Mm-hmm. No,
1: 100%. So we're here today because you and I had a conversation a little while back. And I was asking you about your practice and you said, it's going great. I've got this wonderful practice and I'm doing what they told me I couldn't do when I was in acupuncture school, but you're making it work. And it's like the underdog in me or the person who's just like, I like to go against wherever the tide is going. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you're doing what they told you you couldn't do. (laughs) I want to know more about that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your practice.
0: Sure. So, I have a small private practice in Berkeley, California, which is a saturated market.
1: <laughs> it's like hypersaturated. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's hypersaturated. So, and I have a one room practice, and I do um, like Japanese meridian therapy, the neoclassical style, like Ikira sensei.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So my I learn it through Barbara Martello, who's my like adored mentor. <laughs> and yeah, I run a one room practice and I've been only been in practice for two years as of March 3rd, because I opened my doors on March 3rd, 2020, which is a, was definitely a interesting adventure.
1: March 3rd. That's like the height of everybody completely freaking out. Everything's closed down because of the pandemic and you open the doors to your practice.
0: Well, to be honest, I opened my doors about 10 days before we went into lockdown <laughs> because I didn't know we were definitely going into lockdown. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten licensed at the end of February. So that was definitely interesting. So I opened my doors. And then 10 days later, I had to close them for a while as we felt the pulse and recalibrated, because I was in a shared clinic at the time. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So yeah, it was definitely very, very interesting. So The big thing is that in school, and I've been talking to actually a bunch of my friends like preparing for the podcast. I knew we were talking about this and they all didn't get the same message, but there was one common theme that we all got, which I'll go into later. But the message that I got was that acupuncture is a labor of love and that you really shouldn't expect to make a lot of money from it. That you had to take insurance in order to market yourself and get patients through the door and or workers comp, and that you had to have a multi room clinic, like you needed to see at least two people an hour. And that has just not been the case for me. I see one person an hour. And my rates are about the same as people who see two or three people an hour. And I've been doing great. I had a fantastic end of year last year, I kept on looking at my gross. And I was like, whoa, okay. And my expenses are super low. So my gross is pretty representative of Mm -hmm. my practice.
1: So part of your secret sauce is keep the overhead low.
0: Part of it's keep the overhead low and part of it's like, do what genuinely you want to do. Practice how you want to practice, right? (laughs) You don't have to do things the way that other people do them. And honestly, you shouldn't because it's not authentically you. So a little bit of my background, I worked in marketing for social startups for around 10 years before becoming an acupuncturist. and. That was the big thing is your services and your product need to be representative of a genuine side of the founders, right? And it's the same thing for a private practice. Like however you present yourself in public, when people come into your practice, they should get that same feeling and experience.
1: Mm -hmm. So you're talking about congruence here. Yes. You're talking about who you actually are and having a practice that reflects who you are instead of like, well, this is who I am, but oh, I have to present this other thing for the public. Now there's a disconnect.
0: Exactly. And they know it. People feel it. Mm-hmm. People know when you're blown smoke. People know when you're insecure or not being genuine or trying to overcompensate.
1: I completely agree. There's a thing that I hear, and I hear it a lot, and I think it's dead wrong. And, and I'm sure you've heard it, and all y'all that are listening have heard it, that thing about fake it till you make it.
0: Mm-mm, can't do that.
1: I don't think it's true. No, you can't do that, can you?
0: No. You also don't have to like spill all your guts and be, and like externally process. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Right. You can set yourself up so that you have the right tools around you. So that when you don't know the answer to something, you know where to find it. Because at the end of the day, people aren't paying you for your like absolute knowledge of everything, Chinese medicine that you'd never have to look up. They're paying you because you have a skill set and an ability to, actually find answers in ways that they would not be able to even know how to ask the question.
1: Exactly. Yeah. The thing about acupuncture is a labor of love. Don't expect to make a decent living.
3: Mm-hmm. What a
1: horrible message. Yeah. What a terrible thing to say to anybody. It's like, why would anybody want to do it then? Like, why bother? I mean, it's good to be able to put your heart into something. But we want to be able to feed our families, and we want to be able to take vacations, and we want to be able to pay back loans, and we want to be able to live the kind of a life that we can care for ourselves and nurture ourselves, Mm -hmm. and then be available to our patients.
0: Yeah, and I don't really fault the person that said that, because that was kind of her experience, right? Mm. It was hard, because private practice wasn't genuinely her way of going about it. And at the end of the day, you have to practice the way that works best for you. And not everyone should be in private practice. Not everyone should be hired by somebody else. To be completely frank, if I had to work for somebody else for like my entire career, I would absolutely implode. Like I'm a fire tiger. So I need to be able to like pave my own way and do my own thing and do it in the way that I feel is best. And having worked for people my my whole career before that, it was very hard to to work like that under somebody else's supervision. So for me, private practice is kind of the only way that could really work for me mm-hmm. for the long term. Like for a short term, of course, I could, you know, fill in for somebody or work for somebody else, but not for the long term.
1: Yeah, I, I hear you. I'm a fire rooster. I've got a very similar oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to do it my way. Yeah. Here's how we do it here. Oh, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: I'm going somewhere else. Thanks so much.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: What would you say are either some of the characteristics or delightful things that you'll get to develop for yourself when you're self-employed and running your own show? Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Other than being born a fire tiger, I mean, you know, or sometimes like me, I grew up in a family of small business people. So... Everyone around me growing up, they didn't have jobs, they had businesses. Mm -hmm. So that that gave me a particular slant on the world. Yeah. But if you don't have those things, what are some of the skill sets or maybe just some of the talents that you might already have latent that you would want to bring up and out in running your own practice?
0: Uh, That's a really good question. So the reason why I worked in startups before was because I was really, really good at putting together processes when there were none. And I actually love that part. Like, I love me some spreadsheets, right? Like, I love just coming up with ideas and figuring out how do you make this work, trying it out. And if it doesn't work, being able to pivot and having the freedom to do that. Even just like getting products that I'm like, I'm going to try this product, I'm going to try this and see if this is something that I feel genuinely I can prescribed to my patients to help them. And if I can't, then whatever, it was an experiment. But just having the freedom to do that has been super fun for me. That's a big one.
1: So you like making something out of nothing?
0: Yeah, 100%. And that's actually why I love working with patients is because you literally help them dive deep into understanding what's actually going on, experimenting, seeing if that is like the differential diagnosis, and then moving forward. And being like, okay, this is working, let's continue, let's double down on this, or this isn't working, let's pivot. And actually, it's very fascinating. My patients, even if they're not getting results initially, they all say, like, I'm so grateful you're trying. Because I work a lot, I'm a specialist, so I work a lot with chronic conditions, specifically autoimmunity, and even more specific around dermatology, digestion, and joint pain. So I get people in where they have gone everywhere else and nothing else has worked.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So a lot of them are very open to being like, I understand that this is going to take a while. And I prime them too. And that's something I had to learn at the beginning is like, do not overpromise and definitely manage expectations. But they're all just so grateful that I'm trying and I'm open and honest with them when something doesn't work, which we get scared at the beginning because we have a little bit of, you know, a, an imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. but Everyone that I have been just super genuine and vulnerable and honest with about that process has just been so grateful that I'm trying.
1: One of the things I found with patients that, you know, like yours, they've been lots of places, they're hoping for a miracle, but they know miracles aren't likely. When they ask me what's going on, I often say to them, you know, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. This is really complicated. I've got some ideas and the ideas look like this and we work through them. I'm open with them about that. I don't know isn't a stopping place like, oh, throw your hands up and give up. I don't know is the like X on a treasure map that says dig here. Mm -hmm. I think people really respond to that as long as we are comfortable with that ourselves.
0: Yeah, but it does take time to get comfortable with that. I definitely was not comfortable at the beginning because I'm like, oh, my God. Because every patient encounter had such weight to it when you're in private practice because you're like, I, I have to have a win
3: mm-hmm.
0: here in order to keep them on and keep my practice open. But eventually you learn that just kind of leaning into that major discomfort of being like, I don't know, but we're going to try and find out.
1: People appreciate that.
0: That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: you've got this one woman practice, one room. Mm-hmm. You're doing supposedly the impossible.
2: How
0: are you doing it? That's a really good question. I don't know where to start with that. Uh, How am I doing it? So I'll give you just like a vision of how my practice is set up. So I Mm. right now I'm in clinic a little bit less because I've been doing my clinical hours for the doctorate, but I am usually in clinic three and a half to four days a week. Now it's been more like two and a half to three. And I have one room. I'm in a multi-room clinic but we rent out so i have a partner in the practice that we have completely separate practices but we share space together and so we have two other rooms besides ours because him and i share a room uh, that we rent out to other practitioners so that is another stream of income if you will that really just covers some of the rent (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. but lots of different ways to cover your overhead
0: no exactly So that keeps my overhead even lower. Mm -hmm. But so I, you know, have them come in. We do for an initial intake, I add an extra 30 minutes and we really go through like what their issues are. I have them do this really intense initial intake form. It takes 20 minutes and I prime them. I'm like, you have to fill this out as best as possible. And then we go in and I try and get them on the table as soon as possible because in the style that I practice, pulse is. The monarch, right? You have to get an idea of their pulse. And with the pulse, I usually have about 50 more questions. <laughs> so, and one of the interesting things is that working in a pandemic, I was trained in a style because with Barbara, we never looked at tongues. So we really just did Pulse and Hara. So I actually was trained in a style that lent itself to people wearing masks all the time. Lucky you. And not necessarily pulling it down. Yeah, no, I feel very, very grateful. And that's something I would, I think was a huge advantage for me is I just decided early on that I know there's so many different ways to skin a cat, but I was going to stick with Ikeda Sensei and Barbara Style with the first, at least the first five years. So every now and then I want to like dabble and see something else. But because I'm so new, getting really, really good in one style is very important right now because you understand the depths of the medicine as you practice one thing over and over and over again.
1: Not only that, what I have found is the system will then teach you. Mm -hmm. The system itself will teach you what you don't know. The method itself becomes a teacher after a period of time. And I just want to putting an underscore on this point because i found this in my experience i'm interested in lots of different things Mm -hmm. but what has been most helpful for me as well take something and like go into it learn it to its depth Mm -hmm. and then there's room that arises later to do other things Mm -hmm. but you really have a solid foundation when you do that that makes so much sense to me
0: yeah and for me, because I always like to understand why things are the way they are, I love Ikeda Sensei Style and like Edward Obeidi, he does all of these CEUs that I attend that always go into the why and is so rooted in the classics that it's super helpful. Having not fully read the classics myself, I'm in process because I feel like it's a <laughs> lifelong journey. Just getting their take on it just helps you understand why things are the way they are Right. And why when someone who has a kidney deficiency has a little bit of surface edema. Right. And that's you, that is actually a pretty like significant diagnostic. Cause you at least in CCM school, you learn edema is spleen. But when you go into the classics, you actually understand better a little bit why edema is a kidney issue as well. So that's a whole aside. That's like more of the practice side, mm-hmm. the actual medicine side. But to go back to my practice, so I get them on the table, pulse, HARA diagnosis. Sometimes I won't do HARA on the first treatment because honestly, it's very weird for someone you just met to tickle you effectively. Mm -hmm. So I try and like, I'll gauge their comfort and I'll always ask before I touch their abdomen. And so- We do that and then I usually do root treatment and keep on refilling the pulse. I'll feel the pulse like 8, 10, 15 times in the first treatment and honestly subsequent treatments because I want to see if it's working. And that's what I also, another thing I love about this system and Ikeda Sensei's approach is it's all about the pulse. And if the pulse doesn't change, you haven't gotten it yet.
1: So you have a way of tracking your treatment as you go. Yeah. You're not thinking, in th- oh, in theory, I should do this, do this, do this. I hope it works. Mm-hmm. Oh, it probably is going to do this. You put a needle in. What did it do? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I feel very grateful to like have gotten such good pulse training to be able to do that. And, you know, Kiko style has the abdomen and that changes too. So there's all these different styles that give you that feedback loop. But that definitely helps give me more confidence as I approach patients with cases that I've never seen before because I'm so new. And so that's one thing. So I, I take the pulse a bunch of times and once the pulse changes in a way that that feels like it's the right direction or it's the right amount, because you can overtreat even with delicate contact needling, you can still overtreat. So I'll do front and then I'll do usually moxa and some re- needle retention. Then I'll take out the needles, flip them over, do the back shoe treatment, which just mimics the front treatment leave them for 10, 15 minutes tops, then take out the needles. And lately I've been adding an element of body work, whether it's the ontake that I learned from geological (laughs) Mm -hmm. or cupping or something, or even using like shonishin and just working through some of the muscle tension because everyone nowadays has crazy muscle tension. And my goal at the end of the day is to have them feel better leaving than they did coming in and adding a little bit of body work will definitely do that.
2: Hello everyone, Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming, or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online. And if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much.
1: Well, that'll help your customers happy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and yeah, have them come back in the door. It's one thing to have your problem go away. It's another thing to, like, just feel dang good when you leave.
0: Mm-hmm. And honestly, you're not always going to make their problem go away, especially in one session, mm-hmm. right? It might take them five. It might take them 20, right? I've dealt with some really complicated cases, even though I'm so new. I just attract these super complicated cases that it can take four months to move the needle. No, no pun intended, right? So,
1: <laughs> I remember when I was first getting acupuncture years and years ago. The main problem I went in for did not change for quite a while. But what was notable to me was number one, I was way less irritable. Like for no good reason, I was less irritable. That's weird <laughs> and pleasant. And then, like, I'd sleep better. My digestion was better. There are things that will happen for people, you know, prior to their problem resolving. And it's just, you know, all that balancing that we help the body to do, the body will pick that up. Mm-hmm. People, well, sometimes they notice it. I'm curious. Have you found in the work that you do that you ask people how they are and they'll say something like, yeah, maybe a little better, I don't know, and you probe deeper and what you find is the problem they came in with is actually gone and they forgot that they ever had it?
0: So yes, to kind of a a different degree. That's definitely yes. Like one of my favorite moments in time was when I had this patient coming in for pan-hypothyroidism due to hypopituitarism. So effectively her pituitary just stopped producing hormones and she had been super active and then like had this like great life. And then all of a sudden she just was fatigued all the time and like could barely move. And one of the best things that ever happened to me was when she came in, cause she was coming in weekly for a while. Uh, she came in and she was like, I was like, how are you? What's going on? She's like, Oh, my elbow hurts. I'm like, Why? She's like, oh, because I've been working out. I'm like, well, how's the fatigue? She's like, oh, I'm great. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. I'm right. This is someone who has, I even coordinated with her neuroendocrinologist to make sure that when I put her on herbs, they were like completely safe. And because, you know, she was on a lot of synthetic hormones. And then she comes in just complaining of shoulder pain because she's back to working out. And that was, or not shoulder pain, elbow pain, because she was back to working out. And that was like, a huge, and I took a step back. I'm like, you realize that that's your complaint now. She's like, oh, yeah, I guess it is, which was awesome. And, but the thing that happens a lot, because I work a lot with dermatology, is especially autoimmune dermatology, is with eczema or psoriasis cases, there's usually something else going on, whether it's respiratory or digestive. And the skin is the first thing to come up and the last thing to leave. And so people get very frustrated. And I warn them, I'm like, listen, it's, if you start on this path it's going to be hard but here are the steps and one of them is your other issues that are low grade and always there are going to start resolving and so i had this one patient who is has eczema and she also has like really intense asthma and low grade digestion issues like constipation and bloating and things like that and I remember she came in very, very frustrated one day because her skin was just not getting better. And I go through, I'm like, so how many times have you used your emergency inhaler this week? She's like, oh, I haven't used it for two weeks. And she was using it every other day before she came in. I'm like, okay, how's your stools? How's your digestion? She's like, oh, it's great. I'm, I'm like having a bowel movement every day and no bloating. I'm like, okay, so these are the first precursors to your skin getting better. So as much as it sucks right now because it's not getting better, it will because the rest of your system is out of fight or flight and is actually getting better. And lo and behold, three weeks later, all of a sudden her eczema went from like pretty gnarly and itchy to almost gone. Like the lesions were completely, like the scabs were gone. Everything was completely fine.
1: So what do you think is going on here with that? Again, I've had people come in because I'm, well, let's just say back pain.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And the very thing that brought them in, like the woman with the thyroid issue, Mm -hmm. the very thing that brought them in resolves. They don't even mention it. It's Mm -hmm. barely, it's not even in their consciousness. Right? The woman you're just talking about, eczema, but yeah, these other things, very notable, very troublesome. They disappear and people don't notice. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going on here?
0: So there is this uh, book by Osho that is quoting a famous person in Chinese history that the name is escaping me right now. But the name of the book is The Shoe Fits, Mm -hmm. When the Shoe Fits. And the rest of that phrase is when the shoe fits, the foot is forgotten. And that sticks with me a lot Mm
3: -hmm. because
0: that's kind of what happens is all of a sudden the shoe's starting to fit. Mm -hmm. And so the foot is forgotten. So then the other things where the shoe isn't fitting is starting to take place of the things that have resolved, or at least gotten better.
1: Yeah. I remember something that our friend Toby Daly mm-hmm. said once. Actually, he asked me and then harangued me until I finally got the answer right. He said, what's perfect health feel like? And the answer is nothing at all.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Perfect health feels like nothing at all. It's only when, those, when we have those shoes that don't fit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. No, exactly. It's pretty interesting. So I want to come back to your practice again. Yeah. Actually, there's a lot I'd like to talk with you about the Japanese acupuncture. I'm just going to put a pin in that. Maybe we'll come around to it later.
3: Yeah.
1: You're in this super saturated area. Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I used to live in Seattle. People complain about this all the time. Oh, there's so many acupuncturists. You know, it's hard to get started. It's hard to get going. You need the insurance, blah, blah, blah. We all know the the spiel with this. Mm Mm-hmm. So here you are Berkeley. This is like one of the acupuncture centers of the universe. Mm-hmm. And that thought didn't really hold sway with you. And you're behaving in a way that like saturated, like, so what big deal? You're going after a tell. I'd like to know more, especially for people who are living in those areas where like, oh, my God, there's so many acupuncturists. I don't know what I'm going to do.
0: So here's what I'll say. I'm not going to lie. At first, it was definitely overwhelming because <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap. Like, why are people going to choose me over someone who's been in practice for 15 years? But here is something that I've learned. I've learned that if it's a saturated market, it's because the demand is high and everybody has a body, right? So you just have to approach it differently. Rather than being a generalist, you can be a specialist,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? Right. So there's a lot of people that specialize in fertility here. There's a lot of people that specialize in pain. I came into acupuncture school in the first place because I wanted to specialize in autoimmunity. I really did. I felt like I have nothing against Western medicine as a medicine. I really don't. But the way that they approach autoimmunity just falls short. And even Western medical practitioners will say that. It's such a multi-system issue that involves a lot of habit change, which is not the forte of Western medicine. It is the forte of Chinese medicine and East Asian medicine. And I've been suffering from psoriasis since I was eight years old. And it only was when I went to a naturopath who was like, hey, it might be your diet. And I was like, what? 20, they told me. I was like, are you kidding me? And lo and behold, I removed wheat and gluten and I was so much better, <laughs> significantly better. Mm-hmm. So that's a side. So back to the, the saturated market, I don't think of it as us being competitive. I think of it as us being a great network of practitioners that can refer to each other. And honestly, we do it all the time. So there's this really great, I love Facebook, not for personal stuff, but for acupuncture stuff. And like, I really just use Facebook now for, to like be in all the acupuncture forms. I love it. It's just something that brings me joy <laughs> because I love interacting. I love hearing other people's perspectives. And there's a Facebook group for Bay Area acupuncturists that I find to be super lovely and supportive. Right? People are like, hey, I have this person who doesn't want to commute to me anymore, or we're not making any progress, or they moved. Is there a practitioner that either specializes in this, whether it be a, a certain style or a an ailment or something along those lines? So I don't feel a lot of scarcity around being in a saturated market. Now it took time to get there, especially because at the beginning, my marketing scheme was going to be going back out there and re- poking my head out the hole that I was in for four years for acupuncture school and reinvigorating my social networks. And that obviously couldn't happen, right? So over time, you start putting out things in these acupuncture groups being like, hey, yeah, I work with this or I've had a patient like this. So then they start referring to you. So that's why being in a saturated market, I don't feel the scarcity personally,
1: that's really powerful. This is really powerful to have that mindset, not just the mindset, but the vision and the heart and the sensibility. There's a lot of acupuncturists around here and I don't feel scarcity mm-hmm. in terms of getting new patients that it's not so much that, oh, they're the competition, but it's more like there's a lot of us. And one of the reasons there's a lot of us is a lot of people use acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got an acupunt What? You don't have an acupuncturist? What's wrong with you?
0: Yeah, no, 100%.
1: Yeah, so more patients are using it.
0: Mm -hmm. More patients are using it and you're not the right practitioner for everybody. I refer out a lot, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: like probably more than I technically should, but I'll just meet people and be like, you know what, I'm not the right person for you. You don't, either because you're, like to speaking muscles and I'm not orthopedic. So I'm going to send you to somebody orthopedic. Like once they start mentioning a muscle, I'm like, okay, you're too athletic for me. Let me send you to somebody who knows this better. I don't do fertility because honestly, there's a lot of people going through IVF IUI here that, I don't want them putting their eggs in my basket, literally, mm-hmm. because there are so many amazing practitioners that have that study this and make this their life, and can give you so much more than just the acupuncture side. They can give you the lifestyle guidance. They can give you the emotional support, right? But I don't have that. That's not my passion. Versus for someone going through autoimmunity, if. There's a practitioner that doesn't deal with that all the time or hasn't dealt with that themselves. They might not have the ability to support someone and hold space the way that I do. Right. So, yeah, that's kind of where I feel in terms of this area like there's a right practitioner for everybody. And so, going in with that perspective helps, even though it's terrifying when you're like, oh my God, I have, you know, 50% capacity this week and I am referring this person out. But at the end of the day, it works best for them.
1: It works best for them. I think it actually works best for you. And the reason that I say this is because it took me well over a decade to learn there are certain patients, they're really not for me. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: I used to think, oh, I should be able to treat everybody, and oh, my book is open, so of course I'll see you. But there really are some people. Me, I will be better served. They will certainly be better served if I don't see them, if I leave that space open for the people that really are a good fit for who I am and what I do. Mm -hmm. And I hear you in the very beginning stages of your practice here, recognizing that and honoring that. And I can tell you from having a little more time in the boat, that can be a rough lesson Mm -hmm. for a lot of us to learn. But once you get it, You start seeing more of the kind of people that you do want to see. And things do go smoother. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And life is not so troublesome. And I found I was not so tired at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, because the patients that aren't the right fit, you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I learned that the hard way. Like, I took on people who I felt in my gut, because I'm very gut-oriented, right? I'm like, this isn't the right person for me. Like, I'm not the right practitioner for them. Mm -hmm. I should refer them out. But, you know, I'm going to take them on, especially at the early stages, right? Right. And then it wound up being a disaster, right? Either the person's expectations were wild and I was working so hard to meet them because I'm a people pleaser and I just was exhausted at the end of the day, or they weren't doing any of their part because I am not your solution as a practitioner. I am part of your solution, but your solution is mostly on you, right? You have to take advice and implement them. You have to take your herbs. You have to do the dietary changes and you have to do the postural changes and like get up and stretch your back every 20 minutes if you're at the computer all day, right? Like these are things that you have to do that I can't fix for you. So I do a free initial consultation and in that I set those expectations. And there are people that are like, you know what? I'm not looking for this. I'm like, great. Here's someone for you. Mm Mm-hmm right? They're like, no, I'm just looking, or I'm just looking for like relaxation. I'm like, that's totally great. I'm going to refer you to somebody who is more your style, right? Who does like a lot of body work and a lot of all these things that, that just aren't my style.
1: It really helps to know who you are and what you're here for.
0: A hundred percent. I think that's if anyone's starting a practice or starting a career, I don't even want to say a practice because again, private practice isn't for everybody. But if you're starting a career, just like knowing your deal makers and deal breakers is, will save you so much heartache.
1: Yeah. So that's a really easy thing to say, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like one of those values clarification exercises when you realize, well, actually I don't know what my values are. A real wake up moment. Mm-hmm. Gosh, is it really important? Well, actually, yes. Any suggestions that you have for people? Yes. About like, yeah, knowing what you're here for.
0: Oh, I was hoping you would get into this. Oh, good. So I switched careers, obviously, to go into acupuncture. And in that process, I did this whole, like what you're talking about is clarifying who I am, what I do and why it matters as a human, right? Mm
1: -hmm. As a human. And so
0: (laughs) as a human, not as a practitioner, like as a human. And so there's, Three stages. One is doing some sort of objective assessment. I really like Strengths Finders. Strengths Finders was amazing. It was fantastic and super eye opening for me. And it was strengths that I didn't even have a word for, right? Like my number two strength in Strengths Finders was strategic. By the way, Strengths Finders is the Clifton Strengths Finders. It's based on positive psychology and it pretty much just brings to the surface what are your innate, like what you're innately good at.
1: What's your superpower?
0: kind of yeah and so it's like a list of 36 leadership strengths and the point of it isn't to make up for your deficiencies it's to partner with people who have strengths that complement yours mm-hmm. so when you do it in a corporate setting with like a team it's really helpful to be like oh i'm not going to give this person this assignment because it's not part of their strengths if i'm going to give it to them i'm going to pair them with this person so that they can like and when i managed people in my last job that was something that i did i would like pair people just so they would get the job done better but so I did strengths finders and my second strength was strategic which baffled me because I am not a long-term vision person I never have been but when you read their description of strategic it actually made a lot of sense I'm really really good at coming up with like the next three steps for people in Different arenas. So it's like if you take these three steps, this is likely to happen. If you take these other three steps, these are likely to happen. They're not long term strategy, but they're short term till you get to a a node, if you will, of when you have to then pivot or continue. So that was really fascinating for me. So I did the Clifton Strengths Finders. You can do Myers Briggs. You can do whatever Enneagram, whatever works for you. You can do all of them, right? Strengths Finders was just the one that was most applicable for me. And then I did what's called like a GBM analysis, I would call it. It's a good, bad, missing, where I took all of my past jobs and went through what was good about them, what was bad about them, and what was missing. Mm -hmm. Right? So all of that was super helpful for me to understand what do I need to thrive? Because at the end of the day, I'm not just looking to survive. I'm looking to thrive. And- Like just those two exercises, I mean, there's more that goes into that, but like just those two exercises were super, super helpful in clarifying what to say yes to and what to say no to when it came to my next step in whatever my career would be. Because at that time, I didn't know I wanted to go to acupuncture school.
1: You didn't even know it was going to be acupuncture school at that point. You just knew. I needed
0: a
3: change.
1: I need some clarification. Who am I and what lights me up? Mm -hmm. And I love what you just said, too knowing what to say yes to and knowing what to say no to. It sounds very simple. It's anything but.
0: Mm-hmm. It is. And the new thing that I've been actually researching a little bit is human design.
1: That is a crazy wild system.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's astrology on steroids.
1: Well, it's com- and it paired with the I Ching and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about human design. I've got a oh, friend I who know. does it. <laughs> You're like the only person I've met outside this weird circle of friends that that has said human design to me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about it.
0: So I'm definitely not the person to talk about human design because I only know very surface scratching of it. If you do want people, I will definitely refer them. But so effectively, human design helps you understand how you were designed to interact with the world. And so it helps you understand your type. And then your authority, meaning like where you make your decisions from, and also your what they call not self theme, which is what comes up when something's not in line with your human design. And I've actually found that super, super helpful. Um, There's also like all these things like with the I Ching part, they have the numbers, That actually was the part that made me be like, oh, this is fascinating. I need to learn more about this because it explained my 20s 100% and no one could explain my 20s because my 20s were like very weird and very throw spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. And then all of a sudden at like 29, I had this epiphany like, no, I need to settle down and actually figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And it was like a sudden change and I didn't understand it, but human design explained it. So that's what made me understand a little bit better. Like- that I needed to explore this more. But what is really helpful is it helped me get comfortable in strategies that worked for me. So I don't do social media posting, right? Like I do, but it's not to get patients, right? I actually more do it for like coordinating with other practitioners because I like meeting other practitioners, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I don't do it at all to bring people into my practice. Right. And I know like Michelle Grasic has like such a great approach to social media. It's just so not genuinely me that I'm not going to do it. Right. Versus like, I remember I had actually had a conversation with you about doing blog posts. Right. Mm -hmm. More to just get your ideas out there. That is much more genuinely me. And from a marketing standpoint, that's what's actually brought people in. Like, I think the most seen post of mine was one where I did a case study on Bell's palsy. And for some reason that like brings people in, it's referred on other people's blogs. And I thought that was really interesting because people will read my, my, my writing and get a sense of who I am. And that's what makes them reach out to me.
1: If you're writing in your own voice. Exactly. Then they will get a sense of who you are. If you're writing in some sort of corporate vanilla, third person, no spirit, no heart. Yeah. It won't land. But if you write in your own voice... Much like we were talking about earlier, the people that are right for you, they will gravitate. They'll go, ooh, I'm interested. I I love this woman's writing. And other people will read it and go, what the hell? You know, click, they're on to the next thing, which is perfect.
0: And the interesting thing about that is that the post that I did because I felt like I had to get no traction, the post that I did because I was like, oh, this was an email. Most of my posts started as emails to my patients, to be completely honest.
1: Well, there you are with authentic voice. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So, and then I just take that, adjust it, take out any identifying information and then like present it as a blog post. And that's what actually gets people, like attracts people to me. And so back to my human design, that is actually part of my human design. So my human design, I am a generator with sacral authority, meaning everything's a gut decision. That's why I'm so much more comfortable in my gut. And what's interesting about generators is that they have a magnetism. So when they are like leaning forward and like pushing their energy out, things don't happen for them. That's a manifester, right? I'm not a manifester, I'm a generator. Generators, when they sit back and are feeling joy and comfort and excitement, they attract things to them. Mm-hmm. And so once I started doing that, my schedule just filled up, like without me even realizing. Like I don't even have room for a new patient for like two weeks, which is a big deal. I mean, now I do because it's it's uh, it's January and I had a bunch of cancellations. But
1: So you being you turns out to be the most powerful marketing force you can put out there.
0: Yeah. Which is funny because I worked in marketing for a long time and we did the authentic part, but we did a lot more push. And as a practice, I don't have to push. And that's hard to do.
1: Well, especially if pushing is not in your nature. I'm very similar to you. I, I was thinking the other day about all the wasted time I spent going to, air quotes here, networking events, I never, ever, ever, in my 20 plus years of practice, I've <laughs> never gotten a patient from one of those. Mm-hmm. Ever. Not that I know of. I mean, maybe there was some thin layer connection, somebody talking to someone, but, but that never worked. What did work for me is exactly what you're doing, writing blog posts about problems that people have because they are searching for a solution to that problem.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And the more of those that I post on my website, the more chances there are for people to land on my website. Mm-hmm. And if they like what they read, then the phone rings.
0: That's true. I will say with the networking, though, <laughs> I did join a business networking international group, a BNI group. How's that go for you? It's, I love it. Really? You want to know why? You get to know people like it's a connection based networking it's not like you just go and present your business I, like there's um this really great contractor that's in my group who told his origin story about how he was living in buffalo and he bought a house for like $5000 and just like fixed it up but then went into a career in finance for 20 years and then came back to it and it was so fascinating to hear that origin story and like you're encouraged to do these one-to-ones and in the one-to-ones, I never talk about my business and I never really talk about theirs. We really just talk about our lives and our values and each other. So I love that because I love connecting with people.
1: Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer, and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective, sort of outward networking piece that you do as well.
0: Yeah, I started that later though, Mm -hmm. which was fascinating because the second I joined BNI before I got any referrals, my schedule started filling up. It's like you put this, it's so cliche, but you put this like energy out into the universe and things just happen.
1: It's cliche and it sounds really airy-fairy woo-woo. There is something about, living out of our authenticity that seems to help. No, 100%. I don't know why, but it just seems to help.
0: Well, if you want to go like just a little bit more esoteric and deeper, at the end of the day, we're here to learn lessons that we're supposed to learn, right? And as you are in the thing that you're supposed to do in this life, whether you want to call it a dharma or a purpose or whatever, then all of those lessons, good, bad, neutral, whatever, come to you and you can approach them and you have an opportunity to approach them when you're living your authentic self. When you're not living your authentic self, you're either just frustrated and angry or disappointed all the time. And that's then you don't have room to notice if there's an opportunity for you.
1: Yes. I have a sense too that the universe likes it when we put skin in the game. Mm Mm-hmm. It really matters.
0: Yeah. And intention is really important too.
1: Tell me a little bit about intention.
0: So I know you talk about a lot of that on the podcast, but every patient interaction, every time you talk about your practice, there's intention behind there. When you're talking about it with a stranger or with someone that you're treating or whatnot. And The intention needs to be pure because when it's not, it doesn't. And it's hard to get it to be pure. I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. But it needs to be about, like, what is your genuine purpose in being a practitioner, right? And my genuine purpose in being a practitioner is I really want to give people the support and space they need so that they can solve problems themselves, right? You give them the resources, but there's this great quote, I'm butchering it a little bit, in Between Heaven and Earth that actually like made me decide to be an acupuncturist that says, it was talking about Western medicine's approach versus Chinese medicine's approach. And Western medicine treats the body as a machine when Eastern medicine treats the body as a garden. And the gardener's job is to tend to the weeds and make sure it's getting enough water. But at the end of the day, it's the garden's job to grow.
1: Wow. That really touches in. It's the garden's job to grow. This is why when patients come in and they say things like, you got rid of my knee pain, I'm very reluctant to take that and say, yes, I did. Because it is the garden's job to grow. And it is the patient's body, mind, spirit to find the way of healing, of bringing those latent resources that are there but maybe not in play, we have these fabulous jobs where we get to assist and accompany. It's a very helpful reminder mm-hmm. that it is the garden's job to grow. And I think one of the promises, it, it's a failed promise by and large, not always, but often, it's a failed promise of Western medicine that we're going to take care of your problem and we're not gonna ask you to really do much. Mm-mm. You don't have to do anything. And our medicine is very different because it we are asking people to live their life more fully and we're there to help them do it.
0: 100%. And especially with autoimmunity, you can't fix somebody. Like you just can't. I work with a nutritionist and I love her. She's so funny. Her big thing is like, you cannot out diet stress. You cannot out supplement stress. You can't out herb stress. And so her big thing is like, we deal with stress first and then you can do everything else, but you got to deal with stress. Right. And she gives me ideas and I'm a type a person. So it does, I, I do get stressed very often, <laughs> but it's always a good reminder. Like when I feel like I'm frustrated about something, like something in my health isn't going properly, then I'm always just like, Oh, I'm like, no, no, no. That's making it worse. Right. And with our patients, like, especially with autoimmunity, like, We need to help them with that stress management by giving them the tools so that they can do it themselves. Same with dietary change. Right. And part of that is education and setting expectations and telling them like you're starting on a journey. You're going down a path where you might not be able to eat bread again. Right. You can't work the way that you've been working because that's, what's destroying your body. It's not anything that I can fix for you. And it's hard. It's hard to get to the point where you have to be like, I am not your answer, right? I can help you figure out your answer. I can help you be your gardener. But at the end of the day, this is your garden and you need to grow.
1: And I think this comes back to what we were talking about earlier in setting expectations with patients Mm -hmm. and, and deciding if someone's for me or not. If somebody is looking to have their problem be taken away from them, probably not a good fit for the kind of practice you have
0: Mm -hmm. and that's actually one of the reasons i refer people out because i have to get them to agree to do something right if it's someone with like gallbladder disease who's has all these stones i'm like listen i'll work with you but only if you promise that if you have any colic or end up in the er again you get it removed Right. Or, you know, with people with eczema, I'm like, you're going to have to give up bread and people. (laughs) It's really funny because there's one person who actually now sees me. But in that initial call, she was like, no. And she actually started like crying that she had to give up bread. And I was like, listen, I get it. If you don't want to, I totally understand. I would recommend going this other route to help you just feel better, but it's not going to make a dent. And I was super honest and open. I'm like, maybe it will make a dent. And I just don't know. Maybe there is a practitioner that can do eczema with just needles. And if there is a practitioner in the Bay Area that knows that, please let me know because Mm -hmm. I'm very curious to talk to you. (laughs) But it's very unlikely, right? And so you have to like prime them and be like, this is a journey that you're starting. You got to be ready. And if you're not, totally understand. No judgment. Here's somebody else for you.
1: Well, so we're back here to what are our strengths, what are our values, and do we know what we're here for? And do we know what we're not here for? Mm-hmm. That kind of clarity is so helpful.
0: Yeah, 100%. And it's interesting because I'm like reflecting on my practice, right, and how I built my practice. And I'm very grateful that I have the practice that I have. It's very easy to dismiss other people's success, right? Right where you're like, oh, they had a parent that supported them. So they didn't have debt, right, through schooling, right? Or it's like, oh, they have, you know, they're married and their partner makes more money. So that person had the time to figure out how to build a practice or one that they use for a really good friend of mine is she has lived in the town that she practices in for most of her life. So she already had a huge network. And I just want to say like everyone has luck like that. You just have to really inventory it and find it. Like what are your tangible and non-tangible assets? Mm. Because when you're starting a practice, everyone has luck like that. Whether it's they have a friend who is a huge influencer in their community and everyone wants acupuncture, they just don't know who to go to, right? Or they have a connection to somebody who is looking to actually retire in five years and wants to train them and, and have them take over their practice. I just want to tell everyone who's listening, like, who is thinking about starting a practice, don't dismiss other people's success because of some thing that you don't have, because you have things that they don't.
1: And what I have found for myself is there are some things that I didn't have but I needed to develop Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and the practice and sticking with it has forced me to develop those aspects of myself that I rely on every day now. And I'm so glad that I'm in touch with them, but man, they were nowhere to be found (laughs) in the beginning Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and the practice itself kind of wore away some of those edges So there's also that. Our practices will teach us a lot about ourselves over the years.
0: A hundred percent.
1: And yes, you know, we all have our own karma and dharma that we bring to it. Mm -hmm. You know, in our own perspectives. I love how experimental you are. I love that (laughs) you've got this background that you did with the startups. But beyond that, you had this vision of what you want. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: We're like, well, let's try it. I mean, like, why not try it? Yeah right? If it doesn't work, you can always go do something else. Yeah. You could try something else, but why not go for the thing that you actually have in your heart?
0: Yeah, that's always been my way of going about things too. Even when I was a kid, like you can ask my parents, I just kind of was like, I'm going to try this. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Yeah. But I also grew up with secure attachment bonds because my parents are awesome. So I had that feeling that I could do that, that feeling of safe haven. So I feel very, very grateful, very grateful. And at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to like, what am I grateful for?
3: Mm.
0: Right? Because I mean, the fact that I built a practice during a pandemic still baffles me, (laughs) like still baffles me. No, seriously. Like I look at.
1: Really? I'm not baffled at all.
0: (laughs) I mean, when you go through the stress of kale as a type A person, which is the California acupuncture licensing exam, and you are like. Finally, you're like, okay, the stress is down. I wasn't even paying attention to the news of the pandemic because I was so focused on passing this licensing exam. And then I get my license in hand February 21st, 2020. Open my doors March 3rd, and then everything collapses. And you're just like, whoa, because you're still I'm was still so burnt out from the licensing exam. And I think I cried for two days because I was like, okay, like I just need a palate cleanser right now because Like, this does suck. This does suck. And at the end of the day, it worked out.
1: It sounds like it didn't just work out, Sydney. It sounds like in some ways it motivated you.
0: Interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. I don't know. I have to think about that.
1: Think about it. Get back with me. Yeah, I will. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes the universe throws us a curveball and it's actually the perfect pitch for us it's an oddball yeah Um, sometimes that's the perfect pitch for us i'm curious to know what has been the most fun part of building what you've built
0: that's a really interesting question honestly like i really really love my patients like i look at my schedule every day and i'm like oh my i'm so excited i have to tell this person i watched ted lasso right (laughs) like one of my patients was like you need to watch ted lasso i'm like and it took me freaking three months to do it. And then I watched it over Christmas break and then she was on my schedule. I'm like, Oh my God, I have to tell her. Right. I love the fact that like, I'm excited about seeing my patients and having that interaction with them and just, they're such good humans. And I think that's the most fun part of my practice is getting to hang out with my patients. Cause they're all really cool people.
1: Yeah. It's not a bad way to go to work.
0: No, no, it's exciting. And it's not like it's coworkers where they're trying to get you to do something that you don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do miss like camaraderie of coworkers, but the camaraderie was always around like bitching about a boss. So I'm grateful I don't have that right now.
1: That will actually wear you down over time. That's not helpful. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. And it sounds like you do have camaraderie. You use Facebook, you've got some groups where you have connection.
0: Oh yeah. And then my classmates, I also like people I went to the program with, we still talk all the time. We share like patient cases. We share questions like, oh, I have a friend that works in fertility. So like if I have a patient who has like a menstrual issue, because I do do women's health, it's not my focus, but I do address it because it's an extremely important thing to address when you're addressing anything having to do with autoimmunity. But so I'll like just text her and be like, hey, what would you recommend in this case? And she'll like send over a recommendation and same thing. She's like, hey, I have a fertility patient that also has X, Y, Z. Like what would you recommend herbally? And I'm like, okay, I love that. I love that. I love the camaraderie around here. I feel very grateful because there's definitely, I feel a lot of support and love in the Bay Area acupuncturist community, which I didn't feel at the beginning. It felt much more like competitive. But over time, I guess with the pandemic, everyone softened a little bit. So it's one of the good things that came out of the pandemic. Well,
1: maybe the pandemic and people softening, or maybe the perspective change that you have had.
0: 100%.
1: Where instead of, oh my God, look at all this competition. It's like, oh, look at all these colleagues. Mm -hmm. And you see it more as a resource and a strength than a threat. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful. Yeah. And you have a cash-based business.
0: Yes, I do. I don't take insurance because I do give super bills. And of that, like maybe like 20% of the time, they're reimbursed. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why. Probably my coding. I'm trying to get better at the coding, but.
1: My experience has been, and I'm no expert in this, and I live in St. Louis and I have been here for 13 years now, which is surprising to me. I know. And insurances don't cover it. On occasion, i have a patient, they're like, oh, my insurance covers it. And I'm thinking, yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> and how do I know they don't? Because I put the proper codes on, and they still kick it back, and they say things like, oh, you need to code it. And it's like, I just coded it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, they're very obstructive in some ways. And you know, maybe there's someone out there who really understands insurance and could help me out with that. Yeah. But for the most part, I just don't do it. I just don't take insurance. I just let people know that. Now, in St. Louis, that's easy because... No one can take insurance. Chiropractors might get insurance for acupuncture, but not as acupuncturists. So you're in a place very different. Mm -hmm. A lot of people take insurance. How do you work with that? Well, everybody else takes insurance. How come you're not taking insurance?
0: So to be honest, a lot less people are taking insurance. Also, I will say one thing about insurance because one thing that was like told to me in school was that insurance is a great way to market because you get on all these provider lists. I highly disagree with that. Mm. I think if you take insurance, it should be part of the ethos of your practice. It shouldn't be a marketing scheme like or a marketing strategy at all. Because everyone that I know who takes insurance because it's part of the ethos of their practice of providing affordable care, they're fantastic with it. They deal with all of like the headache of the paperwork and the kickback claims and whatnot because it's so ingrained in their practice. But those that don't are so burnt out. Yes. They're so burnt out and they're so frustrated and kind of upset, because, especially because a lot of times insurance really covers just body pain and they don't want to treat body pain as much anymore. They want more diversity in their practice. So that's just like an aside that I do want to say it was said in school that I wholeheartedly disagree with. Now, in terms of for like cash practice, a lot of people here stop taking insurance most people that take insurance are most, not all, but most are generalists and most focus a lot on body pain. Now I have definitely lost patients that would have been a great fit for me because I didn't take insurance and I'm okay with that. And I've even told people, I'm like, you know what? Go and try and do, because I do a lot of frozen shoulder. I don't know why I get like a lot of frozen shoulder cases because it's like chronic joint pain. And a lot of times if They take out nightshades, they will get better. It's very interesting. But anyway, so I'll even tell them I'm like, listen, try and go through insurance first, max your insurance benefits, and then come back to me. It's great. Right? And at the end of the day, like a lot of the things I treat aren't even covered by insurance. That's right. So even if I took insurance, I would then be treating things that I don't necessarily want to treat. And there's people that are way better equipped than me.
1: Well, and I love your perspective. If you're going to take the insurance, take it as part of your ethos because you want to be accessible. Don't do it as a form of marketing. Mm -hmm. Here's what I can tell you from my experience of having taken insurance and what that's like when I was in Seattle and not taking it here in St. Louis, and here's why it's not marketing. When people are coming to you through the insurance networks, you're not the practitioner. You're the provider. You're just a person providing acupuncture. They're picking you off a list of providers. You're the provider. When people pay you by opening their wallet, you're their practitioner. Mm-hmm. I found a real energetic difference. You know, it's not to say that you can't create wonderful, close, genuine relationships with people coming through insurance. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it has a, a slightly different flavor to it.
0: Yeah. I can imagine. I've never taken insurance, so I don't know. But it sounds like that makes a lot of sense, right?
1: That was my experience.
0: Yeah. And then because it's through, and when you don't have skin in the game, we're talking about skin in the game, right? Before. Mm. When you don't have skin in the game as a patient either, like it's a lot easier to ignore advice.
1: 100%.
0: And at the end of the day, if you work with chronic health issues that require lifestyle adjustment, and so if you're not taking my advice, kind of wasting your time. And money. Yeah, and money.
1: Wow. Well, Sydney, this has been delightful. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited for you and, and delighted. Uh, here you are beginning your practice, beginning during the pandemic and doing it the way you want to do it. You're getting away with it, <laughs> doing it and thriving, getting away with it and thriving. That's just brilliant. Thank you. I'm so happy to hear that. Anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we wind it down here for today?
0: It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know what people want to hear. You can always reach out to me. I'm very, I like talking to other acupuncturists. It's always fun. Um, so you can always email me and ask me questions or share your experience because you might have had a completely different experience than me and your perspective is super valid. So I definitely want to hear that. The big thing with, How to develop your career, at the end of the day, it just has to be so authentically and genuinely connected to who you are and how you want to live your life. Whether that be a super busy multi-room clinic because you get a rush out of the fast-pacedness. If it's a -a two-day-a-week, one person, one room, one person an hour, or one person every two hours, because that's your pace, like you got to do that. If it's working for somebody else, If it's working in community style, like you need to really do what's right for you and ignore what everyone else is saying (laughs) and just figure out what's right for you and ask questions and find allies.
1: Wonderful. Well, and you've given us some great resources for finding out about strengths. I'll make sure that these things are on the show notes page Mm -hmm. and maybe we'll have to check in again in a year or two, just kind of see where things are at.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Sydney. Always great to hang in with you. Yeah, for sure. I'm a bit of a contrarian. And so when I hear that someone has not followed the usual mainstream advice and instead blazed a path to the heart of their own passion and found a way to make their own vision work, well, it warms my heart. And it reminds me there's no one size that fits all in business, just like there's no one size that fits all in medicine. That said, there are some reliable principles, and it is up to each one of us to grasp those principles and then see how they work for us. Running a business is not for the faint of heart, but as you heard here in this conversation, if you put your heart into it, you can create something of sustainable value that serves you and your community. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that.